thank you that you have brought all of us together here. I thank you that you have brought us into community. And one of the purposes of bringing us into community is to lift each other up, just as we sang a little while ago. I pray that you would open each of our eyes and make us aware and sensitive to the person sitting next to us, the person sitting across the room, the person, the person that we might meet for the first time or the person that we've known for a long time. Make us sensitive to the, to the pains, to the needs. Make us sensitive to the, to the joys that we can celebrate with each other. Lord, I thank you for community. I thank you for bringing us into this opportunity to grow with each other, to learn from each other, to build each other up. In Jesus' name, amen. my friend who was a pastor at the church that we were attending. And I said, I got this crazy idea. Tell me I'm an idiot. And he said, that fits with our vision. Here. There we go. Now you can hear me. Now you can hear every word I'm saying. Uh, so I'm just delighted to have Eric here to It's going to come. It's going to, this is going to happen. Okay. Here we are. So we had a wonderful vacation away. We're refreshed. And don't we look refreshed? And don't, don't we? Thankful that we have a lot of people who serve. Eric comes early and he serves us. Anna Rosa got things all set up. Ann comes and you know what the refreshment that people are eating, even as I speak now, it's, it's tasty. And so I'm, I appreciate people who serve us here in a variety of ways. So I'd like to pray for Eric. If uh, I didn't ask his permission, I'm just going to take it. Put your hands on Eric if you're there, because he's in a place of transition. Uh, and so uh, let's... Uh, believe God to encourage him and if the Lord stirs something in your heart and he, he's hanging around and you feel like you have something a word for him feel free to share that with him he was the first person I connected with when I came back in 1995 in July and Eric and I worked together on the same team and I count that a privilege to be teamed up with Eric for some years and so we bless Eric now in a place of transition. We think of Abraham, who when he was called to inherit the land that he would receive, went out not knowing where he was going. That can be difficult to not know where you are going. And I suspect right now that Eric doesn't know where he will be going. We bless him in that process. Let him know deeper than usual the presence of the cloud, the one in the cloud, 
the one who guides. Let him experience you in a deeper way because he needs it in a deeper way. O God, our help in ages past and our hope for years to come. Amen. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been good walking with you, Eric, and being, he was, he was like my pastor because I was, I would come to Fellowship Hall for years, and that was our rich experience, and it was for Bob and Linda. I don't know if you guys are were there, but uh, so uh, it's wonderful. So what if? What if you were to make a decision today that your joy would not be dependent upon people, on an ordinary boss, on a stubborn relative, on a crabby neighbor, on a spouse that doesn't understand? What if? What if you decided that your joy would not be determined by circumstances, by a car that broke down, by a neighbor who wrongly accused you, by a downturn of finances, what if? Is that even possible? Turn to John chapter 15. We got all kinds of Bibles here. So we'll pass them around. If some of you can, there are Bibles in the back. And uh, we're talking about joy regardless. Is it possible? Do you know anybody who lives that way? Who lives, who doesn't ride the roller coaster? Who lives above the circumstances? Is it possible to live indifferent to your situation? Or are we cursed to live uh, according to how situations treat us? If so, have a good day. I hope you have a good day. I hope things don't go wrong. The reality is Jesus is so realistic. Here's what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. And then what he, here's what he says about today. You're going to have enough troubles for today. That's what Jesus said. He said, every day you will have trouble. And then he said in, in this sermon, this upper room discourse, he said, in the world, what will you have? Raise your hand if you're in the world. We're all in the world. You will have, in the Greek, it's it means this. <coughs> Pressure, stress. Anybody ever face that? Anybody have it? Maybe every day. Maybe some every day. Jesus said we'll have trouble. So I'm talking about joy regardless. What if? Here's the good news, that we have the mind of Christ, which means that we can think 
like Christ thinks, potentially. And so I want us just to look at how he thinks with regard to joy, and hopefully it will set us on a, a track toward experiencing a more consistent life of joy. That's my goal for you today. So in John 15, Jesus says, and let's see if I can get some light on it here. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, say my joy, okay, so that the joy of Jesus may be in you and that your joy may be full, may be complete. Sounds sound like something that would be a, a good thing. Picture the environment, picture the setting, picture where he was when he said it. He was under the shadow of the cross and he says, I have joy. I want you to have my joy in you. So I'm going to say four things about joy. First of all, we serve people. People of joy are people who serve others, who think about other people more than they think about themselves. When do we think about ourselves? When we have difficulties, when we have trials, when we have setbacks. And so there needs to be some way that we can see those things in a context that allows us to get beyond them to serve other people. Carl Menager, a psychiatrist, asked what he would do if he ever got depressed. He'd say, I'd close the office, I'd walk across the street and help somebody. Because when you are serving, and you're not doing it as a victim, well, okay, I'll serve you. We can do it as a victim, and it doesn't help. But if we do it truly, because our mind is focused on other people, we are people of joy. Servants are joyful people. I've flown for 40 years, and I can think of one person that stands out that had an incredible ability to serve, and it was obvious the, the joy was flowing over in the aisles. It was a flight attendant who was going back and forth, and it was so much a part of the way she lived. When I, I stopped her, I said, so, what, so what's going on? I didn't tell her what I was saying. She knew. I said, so what's going on? And she said, I've always lived this way. My parents taught me. There was something about her life that she knew how to serve others, to get her mind off herself and serve other people. Now, does it relate to personality? Is joy a personality thing? Is joy extrovert versus introvert? It has zero to do with that. Zero. We think that maybe joyful people, they just got to, it goes good for them. I wondered if that was the case with my friend, Doc Tyrrell. Because he was always radiant, wasn't he? With joy. He just serving others all the time. I left him at the church, at my dad's church, Prince of Peace, and I sat in the car and I said, Does, is he ever sad? Then I thought about it and I said, all the time. Because he takes people's sorrow into his heart. He struggles, he has sorrow, he has sadness. Because, let me say something about joy. It's not in contrast to sorrow. 
Joy is not the opposite of sorrow. Because Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and he is very happy. And he, he tells the Pharisees, who are, who are snobs and obnoxious, if they don't cry out, who will? The rocks will cry out. This was a day to celebrate. The king is coming in, and sometimes he pushed that away. He wouldn't tell people. He'd say, don't tell anything anybody. Not today. Today, he was, he was taking it all in. He was joyful. Was he sad? Really sad. He cried over Jerusalem. Was he sad at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept. Was he joyful? Very joyful. He knew what was going to happen. So don't, if you're sad, don't worry. That, that doesn't have to take away your joy. It can. It may. If you get selfish about it, if you get ingrown, I'm sad in my own life when I see that I've, I, I close myself off from people because I get ingrown. I'm, I'm being suffocated by what I'm going through, and I miss the opportunities that God gives me to touch others. And at that point, I'm not a servant. I want to be a servant. I want to be ready to touch somebody else. And so I say to myself, Paul, you cannot afford depression. You cannot afford discouragement. I say that to myself often. You cannot have that luxury of looking into yourself and being depressed because if you do, what will happen? It'll shut you off from the opportunities to care for others. We serve people. Jesus could have said, come on guys, here's one time when I need to be served. What did he do? He saw them bustling around, wondering who's going to wash some feet. And it says, turn back to chapter 13. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, some son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and was returning to God. Oh my. He's, he's returning to God. What an event. So he got up. Jesus knew what it was not to be served. If anyone had the, the privilege at that point of saying, now I need to be served, it was Jesus at this moment. But servants have joy because they're not suffocating by their own personal needs, but they're looking toward others and are experiencing joy. It's not that those people who are more joyful than the rest are favored by God more, it's that they've chosen to favor God. And the Bible says those that, God, those that honor God, God honors. And so I challenge you to be a servant and I'm not saying that about something here. I'm saying it in your life that you adopt uh, a pattern. Paul says, count others better than yourself. How do you do that? Well, you serve people. Secondly, we don't allow the misery of others to determine ours. Say that with me. We don't allow the misery of others to determine ours. Sometimes we, let, we give others the privilege 
of changing our outlook. Is that true? We can give that to a boss or to a neighbor, to a relative, to a spouse. We can let them determine the level of our joy. It's common. happens all the time. What if you determine in your heart that you will not give that privilege to anyone but God? You said, I will, I will not give other people the right. You make me so mad. Oh, really? I think that person just decided to get mad, didn't they? It wasn't that, see, if I, I can give you the privilege of making me mad, and then I can blame you for making me mad, which is a, a, a double uh, irresponsibility. No, I just chose to take what you're throwing at me. What if you chose not to let an ordinary boss determine your level of competence or joy in the Lord? What if you didn't surrender that? to anyone. Jesus wouldn't surrender that because he had a relationship with the Father. He had the favor of the Father, and that's how he walked. So now he is heading toward the garden with the oppression of the world coming upon him, and he has joy in his heart. Number three, we do not let bad experiences take away our joy. Was Jesus having a good experience? No, he was having a bad experience. What was happening? He himself prophesied. He said, one of you will betray me. And Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I won't. Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, Jesus could just have been, this is not a good time. This is not a good time for betrayal. This is not a good time, by the way, for denial. I'm going to the cross. This won't work. This is not a good time. This is not a good time for a flat tire. We sometimes say some stupid things in the midst of our difficulty. This is not a good time to get sick. This is not a good time for cough. This is not a good time. It's no, no time is a good time. What, is there a good time for having a flat tire? I had, I had heard that enough so that when I, my car broke down, a year ago at North Heights, and I had come to see somebody, and I was going, and it wouldn't start. And so I said, just so you know, God, this is a good time for this. <laughs> 30 minutes later, I drove the car home. I cannot tell you what happened. I don't remember what happened. But I don't want, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, I've done it too many times. I've let circumstances determine the level of my joy, but at that time I didn't. I said, this will not affect my joy for one moment. It will not subtract from my well-being. Circumstances do not determine my life. Do they determine yours? Do they determine your life? Was Jesus having a good day? Are you having a good day? I hope so, but if you're having a bad day, oh! Count it on. Joy, my brothers, count it all joy when, when you meet various trials, count it all joy. So I've taken that literally. So in my morning prayers, the first thing that I thank God for, trials, tests, conflict. Because 
the Lord said we're going to get it. And so when I get it, I want to be ready for it and ready to respond in a Christ-like way. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind that Christ had. So we serve people. Jesus served at a time of difficulty. That's, not, that's counterintuitive, which makes it so strong. It's counterintuitive. It's in the spirit. When you choose in this situation, I'm going to ignore how I feel and how I am responding or reacting to this situation. And I'm going to think of somebody else. I'm going to call somebody on the phone. I'm going to email somebody. Write a letter to, to, uh, to somebody that needs it more than I. And then I'm not going to allow some grouch to determine the level of my peace and my joy. Are you with me on that? Would you say, yeah, that's, that sounds like a, a good idea. And that I will not allow circumstances to take away my joy. Was that a good time for betrayal? No, it wasn't a good time. That was hard on Jesus. That's why he said it. One of you will betray me. That was hard. He had ministered to Judas for three years. He poured into him, knowing he was a thief. Then he honored him by making him the honored guest, by giving him the sop after he dipped it in. He said, go do what you have to do. That was hard on Jesus. It was hard on Jesus for Peter. He knew where Peter would be. He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew Satan was trying to sift him like wheat, just grind him up. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. It was hard on Jesus. But it didn't keep him from experience of the love of the Father. He kept that intact. Fourth, we overcome grumbling with gratitude. What is more likely, that your boss is going to change or that you will learn to respond to him in a Christ-like manner? Which, which is more likely to happen? Will you be the first to respond? Or will you wait till your boss gets, I got a call from California, a guy mentoring over the phone. And I said, Paul, I think I need to quit this job. Borderline dishonesty, real estate, that uh, it seemed like he may be compromising some things. I feel like I need to speak to him. I said, what, what's your advice? I said, you should pay him for what he's doing for you. You should give him a salary because this is a perfect situation. Read 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25. I said, because God promises you is if you live in a situation with an overbearing boss and respond in a Christ-like manner, you'll have God's favor. How much do you want to pay for the favor of God? What's it worth to you? I said, you don't need to give him any sermon. You don't get, need to give him any speeches. You don't give him any correction. You simply respond to him in a Christ-like way, and God's doing something remarkable in you that you should pay him for. He said, oh. Okay. Actually, I didn't know it was on his face because we were on the phone, but... You see, we have funny responses sometimes as Christians. We're supposed to change them. We're not supposed to change them. We love them and let God do the convicting, God do the changing. And we continue with not a grumpy, grouchy, complaining attitude. Is just so you know, grumpiness doesn't register on God's happy scale at all. It's a negative value in heaven. 
he got to the point where he said, I've had enough. I've heard enough complaining. I've heard enough grouchiness. You're not going in. I had every, every, every plan on bringing you in, but I'm not going to bring you in. He doesn't like complaining. Gratitude opens the storehouse of heaven. Remember the ten lepers? And all ten of them were healed and one came back? Jesus wasn't baffled, but he was concerned. What did he say? Where are the nine? Wait a minute. Where are the nine? Well, you, he wouldn't expect us to come back and thank him. What happened? We got healed, and let's just go and be with our family. No, he expected them to show gratitude. God expects you to be grateful. He expects gratitude. And he'll give you a heart. He'll give you the heart of Jesus so you're able to give him gratitude right in the midst of difficulties. So instead of complaining about the boss, instead of complaining about the neighbor, instead of complaining about the spouse, whatever your situation, express grateful hearts. And God touches you in the midst of it. And he's doing something remarkable in you. I had a chance to talk to a, a relative who's in a difficult situation. And I, I said, God will do something wonderful in your heart as you respond in a Christ-like way in the midst of sorrow. So sorrow doesn't have to negate your joy. Isn't that good to know? That you can have legitimate sorrow and yet it doesn't negate that relationship with the Lord and that sense of contentment. Okay, I started with what if. Now I'm going to say what if not. What if I decide not to? Then here's what my life looks like. Right? If I'm living circumstantially, let's hope I have a good day. Because I have a bad day, I'm down. If I'm living circumstantially, I really want people to serve me and to be happy around me and to do good things for me because then I'll be happy. But if they're not happy, then I respond circumstantially. Take your pick. What if not, then if you choose not to live in the favor of God, in the, in the presence of God, but live circumstantially, it's, it's just not fun. It's, it's not very satisfying. What about having a bad day and still being joyful? Raise your hand if you want to experience that. If you want to have a bad day, and, because you're going to have a bad day. Jesus said you're going to have trouble. I mean, it's, it's not going to, every day is not going to be a 10. Some days are going to be a 3. And things are going to go wrong. I, it was about a year ago that if it could go wrong, it was going wrong <laughs> around the house. I, I counted nine things. And I called my friend Gary Gilbertson, and I said, Gary, help me out. Here's what's gone wrong. Is this God, Satan, or me? And he said, yes. <laughs> Is it a test? Yes. Is it something you've done? Maybe? Yes. Is it God? Yes. God will use everything. Satan will get into everything. He'll try to mess it up. Resist him. Submit to God. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the song, the kid's song. So 
I want to be ready for that. I can assume that because I'm a pastor, because I've walked with the Lord a long time, that everything should go smooth for me. Because it will not. I'll miss plane trips. I'll experience difficulty at the hands of people I, I trusted. And so will you. So how do we deal with that? We say, I'm going to have joy regardless. I'm going to latch on, and I'm not going to let my behavior be determined, determined by someone else's behavior. I'm not going to pick up their grouchiness and be grouchy and say, well, I can because you are. Grow up. I'm not going to complain because others are complaining. Now, is this feasible? Come on, help me out. Is, it, is this possible? Can we live this way? Can we serve one another this way? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some questions, and I want you to divide up into groups. You can make your own group, or we've got leaders. We've got, uh, it's 1138. We've got some time to talk together. Bob and Linda, you'd be available to lead a group. Andrew, you'd be available. Joe, be available. Any, any others that have been, don't see you, but if, uh, just come together. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, honey. Thank you. That's, thank you for saying that. This is, this is not just an, an automatic piece of cake going to happen. It absolutely requires the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So let's, let's pray for that. Then I'm going to speak the benediction over you, and then, and then we break up. This is not primarily fellowship time, but it can be a little bit, but it's primarily uh, praying with one another, and uh, helping one another through this. Paul once called horrendous afflictions that he went through light momentary afflictions. Oh my, what an outlook. What a perspective. Father, I'm sorry for the perspective I've often had in the face of the pressures on my life. I've often taken it in, and it's affected my ability to care for others, and I'm sorry. We say we're sorry, or we have surrendered joy inappropriately. We pray that you would forgive us when we have done that, and we have quit serving. We pray, Holy Spirit, you're the best helper. You're the best server. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts in the midst of difficult times? Turn us outward and upward and enable us to please you in such a way that you show up with power. Look at me for a moment. Here's, here's the bottom line of this. When in the midst of difficulty, we respond this way. There are many examples from the scripture where God shows up in powerful ways. Here is Paul. He's just been beaten. He's in the back of the dungeon with stocks on and bruises that were not attended to yet. 
The jailer's going to attend to him at 2 o'clock in the morning after he turns to Christ, but they're not attended to. And he leans over to Silas and says, do you know any good choruses? Well, that wasn't his, the first outlook of most people who are in the midst of sorrow. They're, they're thinking of themselves. But he is praising the Lord, and so God says, rock and roll, let's, let, let's move. And he, he, he shakes the place, and the church is planted. You respond in Christ-like ways in the midst of affliction, like... What do you see there? Isn't there's joy there, isn't there? Isn't there incredible peace? Right in the midst of persecution. We gotta pray for the Christians in Iraq who are there's not one person's been beheaded. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I told you I'd sing the song afterwards. Can we sing it one time? It's, it's right from the Bible. Brother Jesus said it.